Welcome in, everybody, to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, as I have been every single Friday in football season, now in the eighth year. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. We are going to have one of my good friends on the show who caught up with Drew Doherty, David Anderson. We're also going to have a couple of running backs. Philip Lindsay did a little deep slant, which was very, very fun. We'll also have a little Drew's Dozen with David Johnson. Got my predictions straight up and against the spread. It's always one of my favorite segments. And we don't have to pick a Texans game because they played last night. 24-9 loss to the Carolina Panthers. And that brings in my friend, my pal, my partner on the radio, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, the night after, we're about eh, less than 24 hours removed from the finish last night, the Carolina Panthers. I ask you this a lot, your gut reaction. we got a lot to get into. Right. But your gut reaction, just 30,000-foot view of what took place at NRG Stadium last night. Look, it's the NFL, so a lot of these games are super close, right? And you're supposed to be in them. That's the way the league is designed. And... With the Cleveland game and this game, you're right there in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Make some plays. Make a stop. And you get the ball back and you have a chance to, in the case of the Cleveland game, take the lead. In the case of last night, touching a two ties it up. I know it's a lot to ask, especially the way moving the ball was difficult last night against that number one defense. But, you know, there were some good things I saw. It's just frustrating, Johnny. You mentioned the running backs. We'll have them on the show tonight. And I think these guys are talented. But for whatever reason, I'm going over the names on the O-line. We don't have to name them all right now. But these are talented players, too. And they're just not running the ball. They're not able to run the ball. And I got thrown questions this morning from a San Antonio station, the ticket, 760. That's one of our affiliates. They were asking me, can Davis Mills possibly steal this quarterback job? And I said, you know, look, he's got an opportunity to play well here. He's got two more starts minimum. We'll see how they go. But here's the thing about this team. That running ability of Terod Taylor is key to being able to move the football in general for this particular team. And I think with even with Watson playing for the Texans the last few years, his running ability was key to being able to move the football because that's an extra threat. You know, Andre always talks about it, you know, defending 11 or whatever it is. That's an extra threat. Now, Mills might be capable of that, but he's not that kind of quarterback. He's a pocket passer who has some mobility, can move around in the pocket and out of the pocket. But Taylor, whoop, you know, can take off and really do something special with his legs. And I think that's missing. So my gut reaction is you're right there and you're just so close to getting over the hump, but you're not. You need players back, and for whatever reason, it's just tough to run the ball. And I think that's even a bigger factor than what ails them defensively right now, the lack of a ground attack. You're right. I think, and I've thought about this a lot, my last year of coaching was 2000. I remember as I would look at the various things that I wanted to do offensively, and I had a quarterback who was a dual-threat quarterback. Now, there's a difference between a dual-threat quarterback and a mobile quarterback. Sam, mm. The two quarterbacks you saw last night in Sam Darnold and Davis Mills, they're mobile quarterbacks. And the difference is, with a dual-threat quarterback, you'll scheme up some runs for that mm-hmm. quarterback. You know, Tyrod, there were some schemed-up runs for him. I think Darnold pulled it on a zone read at one point, and, but that's that's baked into the office. Davis could pull it on a zone read uh, yeah. if it came to those guys are athletic enough. They're mobile quarterbacks. You saw them get out of trouble a couple of times. But the dual threat quarterback now puts so much pressure, and we're going to see one next week in Josh Allen. They put so much pressure 
on a defense to mind their P's and Q's. You can't just haul off and, and fly up uh, to the football because, oh boy, the quarterback might pull that out and they might be running RPO. You think about that game at Jacksonville, they kind of had Jacksonville's defense on their heels the entire game because they ran a couple RPOs to keep those outside guys off kilter and they didn't do anything really for the most part for, throughout that entire game because those guys had to kind of sit and wait and read and that didn't happen with these guys. These guys were just they were firing. So mm. the answer to that is okay. So you got a po- so you got a pocket passer, right? That's what we'll call Davis Mills. That he's a, you got a pocket passer. So okay, how do you keep guys honest such that you can run the ball? How do you end up doing that? And I think that's the question that's facing Tim Kelly and this offensive staff this weekend. Yeah, and that is guys are sitting and they're just going to take now look this Panthers defense is is ridiculously good I mean ridiculously good and the way that the Panthers went about putting it together their 2020 draft you look at it it's all defense it's Derek Brown at pick seven or eight it's Jeremy Chin in the second round and those two are stalwarts they had drafted Burns the year before or a couple years before I think and now he's growing into a player. Then they draft J.C. Horn in this draft, and they spent the rest of the draft on offense. But the additions they made through free agency with Hassan Reddick and Morgan Fox really gave that defense a fast, aggressive mentality, and Phil Snow's the perfect defense coordinator for that. And so with Davis, I think they just said, look, as a defense, you can't stop everything. It just felt like the Panthers could stop everything, but you can't stop everything. And so he felt like, you know what, we're going to roll the dice, see if we can get them uh, behind the sticks on first and second down. And then on third down, he's sitting there going, all right, you're about to see some stuff. What they say? Uh, when this thing hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to yeah. see some serious bleep. Then back to yeah. the future line. Well, when this thing gets to third and long, you're going to see some serious stuff. And we saw it last night. There were times where they would show six or seven guys and the Texans would set their pass protection, and all of a sudden they would they would split the protection, three guys one side, two to the other, and all of a sudden on the three-man side, there are, there are three guys. One's looping to the other side, and on the two-man side where there were three guys there, only one of them rushed, so both guys are locked in on that guy thinking they're going to get other rushers, and the looper comes clean. So you got third down, and – then they did what they wanted to. So they just said, look, we're going to sell out. Because they they banked on the fact, you don't have Tyrod Taylor. You don't have those RPOs. We're not really going to get caught in conflict here. And we're going to challenge you to beat us with some play action before we respect the fact that we got to back up a little bit because your play action is is good enough. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is, quite simply, you got you got to block the right guy. you got to block the right guy. And you got to stay on that block, and your backs have got to get to and through the holes. And when there is a hole there, they got to hit the hole. And when you're struggling just with anything, I mean, you think about it. You play golf. You're struggling with your golf swing. You're trying to figure everything out. You're switching your grip. Maybe I should go down a club. I mean, you're thinking of everything, and you're in your head, and everybody's in their head. Offensive line's in their head. Wide receivers know they got to make blocks. They're in their head because, hey, I, I can't get to this block. Running backs are like, well, wait. I know I should go to the left, but I got to make something happen. So you pressure, so you go back to the right. When no, you should have just stayed to the left uh, and gone through the hole that actually was there. So 
everybody's just now panicking and trying to look for things. But that's got to be the charge, I think, of this offensive staff over the weekend is how do you get that thing going? Now, look, like I said, that defense was giving up 40, what, 46 yards per game on, on the ground. And right. I think the number was like 50 maybe, I think, on the uh, in total. No, it was less than 50. But here's the thing, I though. I think it was right at the average maybe. Those games slipped away earlier. Um, I mean, the Jets game was a little bit closer, but the Saints oh, game, yeah. they were down 17 nothing. They just abandoned the this is, completely. This is a game in which you could still run the ball time-wise, time and situation. Right, right. You could still run your offense and make things happen. But they had difficulty. Look, I can't blame Kelly, you know. Why are, you, why are you running on first and second down? They're trying to get something going on the ground, and they got a rookie quarterback. Never mind who the quarterback is. You're trying not to get the quarterback killed and hoping that you can get your ground game going. Right. I mean, you have to try. And if you yes. don't pick up third downs, they were one for nine, well, you're not going to get enough snaps to even go back to the run. It puts a lot of pressure on Mills. He didn't throw for a lot of yards, but he didn't turn it over. I think that's a plus here. And I know people are sort of critiquing and picking apart things like, well – if you're gonna play conservatively, you got to be better at the running game. You got to be ready. You got to be better at defense. Yes, it's all true. It's yep. all true. And you could make the case maybe they should be yeah, play things a little more risky, if you will. But you know, then you're gonna say, all right, we gave up two touchdowns doing this and that, and the other thing, and now we're completely out of it. They're right, right there. They're just not making those critical fourth quarter plays. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. You go down and score the touchdown. In Cleveland in the fourth quarter, he hits Cooks. The fourth quarter, yeah, the fourth quarter. You make it twenty-four, twenty-one with 11, 12 minutes. You got a rookie quarterback on the field. You lost a couple of receivers already, and he leads you down there for a touchdown to make it twenty-four, twenty-one on the road against a team that a lot of people think is a top-five team in the league in Cleveland on the road in their building. The first time they played in front of a full crowd since twenty nineteen. And your rookie leads you down there to get you within three. You need to stop. You can't get the stop. Even at that point, you don't get the stop, but you get a drive a little bit later that a field goal gets you within a touchdown, onside kick, and you, know, you, you never, never know. know what happens. Well, last night in the fourth quarter, you kicked the field goal. Now, Joey Sly. No, he did miss the, the extra point. Mm -hmm. But that was a 53-yard field goal. And I'm standing underneath the uprights like I do at, at you know at home on the road. Good from 63. It was good from maybe 70. I mean, <laughs> it was a bomb. That thing is. I mean, and if you know a lot of kicks that are 53, 54, they're going end over end, and it's like, is that thing gonna have enough juice to get? That thing was smoking. Yeah. Past me. Yeah. It was smoking. Well, good for him that he didn't uh, short leg it. You know, after the miss, after a back to back misses, because he missed a field goal against Cleveland, like you said, and then the next kick he attempts, he misses that. So that's two misses in a row. Yep. And I was thinking, oh, boy, now you can't count on him. You're right. But he nails that 53. Hopefully that gives him some confidence because, well, really, the big hopefully is Kaimi Fairbairn comes back quickly. Right. No offense to Joey, but this is the kicker that you've invested in. Right. That's nine minutes and nine seconds left in the fourth quarter, and it's a one-score game. It's a one-score game. At 17-9. Look, it's not where you want to be. But again, just like in Cleveland where it was a three-point lead, a one-score game with 12 minutes left, it's now a one-score game when you really have been struggling to get things going offensively. You get that field goal and you make it 17-9. Uh, 
and then they go 12 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Right. Uh, that was the one where Darnold, you know, had the quarterback sneak, and and that's the that's the hard part. On that drive, you had them third and ten. Mm. Third and ten. Mm. And he throws to Dan Arnold and gets 11 yards for a first down. That is That was the kill. You mentioned third downs. I thought it was pretty telling. Last week against Cleveland, there were also some third downs they didn't, they didn't stop. The third and longs have been a killer. Jacksonville, I think, picked up a third and 17 that ended up leading to a field goal. It's going to happen from time to time, but you just have to right. be better at right. it. Right. But to happen – like it's happening every single game. I, but to get the, them the third, to get them the third long. I mean, mm-hmm. it's great. It's exactly where you want to be. And then they come through with just enough. Third and seventeen gets eighteen. Third and ten, he gets to throw to Darnold for uh, to Dan Arnold, which is interesting because on the on the on the sheet it says Darnold passes short right to D Arnold. So it's Darnold <laughs> passing to Darnold, which is kind of Darnold, interesting. Darnold. But well, yeah, that was that was a big that was a big big play. Don't you agree that if this team's going to win games, they got to possess the ball, yes. right? Yes. This has to be a time of possession team, right? I mean, that's the way it's designed, and they're not able to do that. So it puts pressure on you to be a quick strike team, right? Yeah. Like they did at the end of the first half. Great. Now you should be tied seven seven, but you missed the extra point. Second half, you just never really get it going. What was the drive they had where? They were getting – oh, that was still in the first half where they got all those penalty yards, and they got up to their 36, the Texans' 36, yep. from being in jail. But 25 yards of that was penalty yardage. Yes. I mean, but I was thinking, well, you'll take it any which way you can get it. But yep. they stalled at that point too. But the big moment, Johnny, let's talk about it. When they get it to the 39 and it's third and four, and I'm thinking, well, all right, yeah. now it's fourth and four. I know Cully's taking some heat for this yep. and hindsight 2020, whatever. I get it. Fourth and four, four yards is not a gimme, okay? Right. It's not a gimme putt. You could say that, all right, if you're thinking of going for it on fourth down, run something on third that gets you either the first or at least close, right? Right. right. Uh, they tried a longish pass, medium to long range, but Mills was under pressure. Yeah. So maybe the call on third and four, I don't know what Tim Kelly would tell you today. Maybe he would say, well, I'm sure he would say, I wish I called something else because uh, that one didn't work based on whatever happened up front. But fourth and four, I understand that point. And look, they got the ball down to the nine-yard line. It's not like last week when Cam Johnston was not able to land right, it inside right, the 10 right, right. and it came out to the 20 with the touchback. They got it down to the nine. It's first down and 91, and the <laughs> Panthers go all the way for the touchdown with yep. a nine-play drive. That is was a killer to me because it just, you know, you flip the field, you have them pinned, you feel like your defense is hot because they were at the end of the first yep. half, three sacks in the first half, starting to heat Darnold up, but then the Panthers come alive offensively. And to me, that was the critical point in the game to me. They're backed up to the nine. I think I think it's the most important play of the game. They're backed up to the nine, and I went back behind the end zone to watch from behind the end zone because I could see some things. And so they get the fir- they get the first down. And I think you can get it out to the twenty. So they get a first down, and they run an outside zone. And I'm I'm not directly behind, but I'm behind, kind of cockeyed to the left, mm-hmm. such that when they run the outside zone, I'm like, oh my god, we don't have anybody out there. And then all of a sudden, I see Christian Kirksey like a shot take off and bring down. I think it was I think it was Chuba. And so now it's second and ten. And so. Yeah. So, oh, he got it. I think he got a yard. 
I think he got a yard, maybe two. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. No, he got nothing. He got nothing. So it's second and ten, and Darnold goes back to pass. And I remember distinctly before that drive started, you threw it down to me, and we were talking about all the players from Temple and Baylor that Matt Rule had a hand in getting to the NFL playing for the Panthers. But I said, hey, another one was Jacob Martin, and this is a big drive. Jacob's out on the field. We need some right on cue, second and ten. He breaks through on the inside. He gets an inside move. Now, he's typically a cross-chop guy going around the outside. He breaks through on the inside, and I'm like, oh, he's going to get a sack. This is awesome. Uh, Trey's going to give me props because I mentioned him, and he's there and somebody else is there, and they kind of they don't have a completely clean shot on Darnold. Not completely clean, but enough that they should have been able to bring him down. They both miss. Donald scrambles out for four yards. It's going to be third and six. And Christian Kirksey gets the penalty. That moved to 15 yards, gave him a first down. They get out to the 39-yard line, I think it was, at that point. And then they kept that drive and went all the way down. And then, if you remember, the gut punch of gut punch is... Tremble? No. Donald to Alex Erickson. Oh, that was a gut punch. For 25. Alex Erickson returning kicks for them. And he catches a 25-yard pass, a 25-yard reception from Alex Erickson, former and, Texan Alex Erickson, yeah. and your team is banged up yeah. and could use the services of maybe Alex Erickson. I don't know. I mean, look, he's not great, obviously. He was available to anybody yeah, in the yeah, National yeah. Football League. But in the timing of it just so happened. The yeah. thing about that play is Vernon undercut that and missed it by – I, I, I mean, they showed the replay, and I caught the tail end of the replay, and, I mean, it's it's – it's inches. It might be an inch. I mean, his finger may have grazed it, but Darnold made the play. Mm-hmm. He made that play. Erickson catches it, and then once Vernon's down, it's man coverage. Or Erickson was able to turn up, and then of course it was the the tight end, the tight end reverse or tight the tight end jet sweep basically to Tremble, who's a who's a big time player, and uh, and and that was that. That made it that made it seventeen six, and now you're like, no, no, no that made it. Well, that made it 14-6, but you felt very uncomfortable now. now yeah, like, uh, because man. points were hard to come by, and yeah. now you're down eight, mm-hmm. and you just had the ball in their territory and couldn't move it any deeper to get that field goal. Couldn't get on the ball after Ross Blacklock's strip sack at the end of the first half, yep. uh, which would have been a field goal attempt at the very least. That would have been nice to see. Look, I think there were some encouraging things as well. This pass I, rush was good. I thought the pass rush – look, in the second half – you did kind of get to Darnold, but he got away. Yeah. He got away from you. Yeah. You have Josh Allen next. We can get into that next oh, week, boy. really. I think that there were some encouraging signs from Davis Mills. Yes. Now, as I said at the beginning of the segment, I still think that you know Taylor's running ability for the way they're playing right now is more of an asset that than maybe anything Mills brings to the table at this point right. in his career. But it looks like Mills can play. Johnny, look around the league at these rookie quarterbacks. No one is lighting it up, all right? Mac Jones holding it together right. in New England, for sure, on a good football team or a, a team that has talent on defense and right. some good pieces on offense and that kind of thing. I think that Mills played pretty decent last night. He really yep. did. It was a good first step for him, and it could have been a victory had you been able to run the football and make a few key stops, but it wasn't, and you move on to face Buffalo. Look, we – Thought they might be if they played well 2-1 and one at this point. No one expected Carolina to be this good. No one expected the Texans to be as banged up as they are right now. You move on. It's week four. We'll see what happens. 
And that's that brings up a great question. Mm-hmm. And and Justin Reed tweeted this after the the Cleveland game. I mean, it, look, you gave up twenty four points. You're without your starting corner, your number one corner. You're without your number one safety. You're without a starting linebacker who has played exceptionally well. So you're down three guys defensively. Obviously, you don't have Tyrod. But Justin Reed put it out there after the Cleveland game. We stay healthy. We win, we win that game. Yes, I think a lot of people thought this team would be one and two after three games. But it's just interesting how it's evolved. Yeah. Because, obviously, Davis has come into the game. He has played – Tyrod Taylor's played half the games. He's played half the games. And when Davis has been out there, yeah, he he, start, he went the wrong way in a couple of handoffs. He threw an interception. But once he settled in, mm-hmm. he was able to generate what should have been 10 points if Joey doesn't miss that field goal against a really good athletic Cleveland defense. He didn't turn the ball over last night against the number one defense in the league. And, look, it's not going to get any easier because he faces the Bills defense. He faces the um, – Patriots defense, he faces the uh, Colts defense, presumably over the next few weeks. And then we'll we'll see uh, at that point whether Tyrod can get back healthy. I don't want to take anything away from Davis because I think Davis played with some guts. I think he showed a lot of toughness. I think he played his guts out. Um, I think he made some throws and showed some promise. I'm with you. I've been, I've been saying that from the time he was drafted. It ain't going to be perfect, especially with the rookie quarterback, but under fire from some of the things he saw last night against the Panthers and some of the throws he made, I am really encouraged about Davis Mills. However, I wonder if Tyrod had stay healthy, how does the Cleveland game finish? And then how does that one go if Tyrod's movement ability gives them the issues that you think you could have given them? Well, here's the good news. The good news is Taylor's coming back. Yeah. Amendola's coming back. Right. Nico's coming back. Reed and Kamu are coming. They're all coming back. Right. Now, you, you got out of the game healthy, David Culley said it this morning. You got out of this one relatively healthy. I say relatively because you weren't healthy going in. But at least they survived this one. They took the loss, and now they get a little chance to mend up. Mills can watch some tape. You go to Buffalo, you give it your best shot. But eventually those guys are coming back, yep. and you'll have a chance to do some damage here. Yep. 1-0 in the division, Colts and the Titans hook up this week. Oh, who are we cheering for? Oh, that's a good one. All right. I mean, if the I Colts win. I can't cheer for anybody. I know, that's a good question. I, I good can't point. even watch it. I'm going to have red zone on. Okay, but if, here's a good point. What? Here's a good point. Colts have to win it. If the Colts win after three, three weeks, three. still be a top. Yeah. That's assuming a, that Jacksonville. If Jacksonville be, wins, it could be a four-way tie. Four-way tie for first. <laughs> Let's start the season over. I'm here for it, Johnny. I am definitely here for starting the season yeah, over with, with healthy players. Yeah. But, yeah, you know what? When I watch the Colts and the Titans play, it's always so difficult. You know, and I have to – if the game is on, I can't watch the game. I got to watch Red Zone. Just show me, yeah. you know, the – Red Zone is great because it's – it's highlights before they happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's real-time highlights. Just show me that stuff. Yeah. I don't want to see the rest of it, man. I uh, It's just too difficult to watch because I hate them both yeah. so much. It's like it's like two exes fighting and arguing. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you're like, you don't really, you just, you hate them both and you're just like, nah. No, but it's it's two exes fighting and arguing and they're married to really rich guys. Yeah, see, true. or yeah. something like that because... When the Texans are doing really well historically and you have the Titans and the Colts playing and it doesn't matter to you, yeah. that's the two X's and you're like, not my problem. Okay. Not my problem. Okay. You've got 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. 
Panthers v. Browns on a neutral field. Who wins it? I think, oh, that's a great all, question. Now, all healthy. Give them McCaffrey, give them J.C. Horn, all fully healthy. If they have McCaffrey, I think the Panthers have a really great shot to win that game. Yeah, I would think so, too. I, you know, but, I would love to see that defense match you, up against that. You get some ferocious pass rushing after Darnold in a close game late. You know, he you could know. he could Darnold the game up. But you know, credit to him, Johnny. You know, he's, I want to see this continue for he's him. He's the kind really of guy do. that you kind of root for in yep. that way. That look, you, I hate when you give up on people just because they played in New York yep. or whatever. He and Neville Hewitt had a moment after the game, like, yeah. hey. We're not in New York anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what they were saying. I just imagine that <laughs> to be that nice. way. All right, Mark, appreciate it. We get back. We're going to have a little Philip Lindsay doing a deep slant with DB Sitter next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Hey, Texans fans, can you hear it? Can you feel it right now? It's all around you. It's the air we share. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Daikin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Where we work, where we play, where we grow. It's all part of Daikin's mission to perfect the air we share. And you can learn all about it by visiting DaikinLovesHouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, and so glad to be with you on this Friday evening. And it's time for our weekly deep slant interview of the week with our good friend D.P. Sidhu. And this week, it's a guy the players absolutely love. He goes by the nickname Filthy Phil. It's Philip Lindsay with D.P. Sidhu. D.P., take it away. It's a Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. I'm chatting with running back Philip Lindsay, year four. Phil, how's it been for you? I know you've never played outside of Colorado, but you've got some games under your belt. How have you adjusted to the locker room and just this team and just getting back on the field healthy again? Yeah, thanks for having me today. The locker room is great. You know, this is the first year that I've ever been around as many veterans as as we have here in Houston. Uh, so it's great to see a different perspective of things and how people go about their business and learning from them and just the atmosphere is just, you know, different, which is which is a great thing because you come in here, you handle your business, and you kind of go home. And a majority of us have uh, a family at the house, you know, kids, a wife. So it's really good. We're all in the same situation, so we kind of understand each other a little bit different than a locker room that's kind of young and new to the game and um, happy-go-lucky in a way. But here it's kind of everybody knows what they have to do uh, and handling business uh, up front and at home. So it's, it's, it's a great atmosphere. All right, so you caught a 22-yard touchdown pass against the Browns, and that was your first receiving touchdown since 2018, your rookie year. I know. I mean, how close do you feel to that 2018 version of yeah. yourself? I know you dealt with some injuries last year, but we'd seen you throughout OTAs and training camp, yeah. and, and you looked healthy. I mean, how do you feel? Yeah, I, I feel healthy, and, and uh, you know, it feels good to get in the open space. It feels good. I think that that's uh, where my game is really good is when I can get an open space and, and do some explosive running and stuff, you know. So uh, it was it was good to, to, to feel that way again and see it. And, you know, hopefully I can build off of that. And, uh, yeah, I, I do feel, I feel a lot healthier and stuff like that. So um, I'm looking forward. To, it's a long season. 
So I'm looking forward to, to stacking stacking games and building momentum as the season goes. You kind of you don't want to peak too fast, you know. And if you can peak more so towards the middle of the season, where you know playoff time, that's where you want to go as a team, as a player. So as long as we're stacking stuff, and and for myself, is is making little goals and little strides. Things will add up as time goes on. You've been a part of some really fun plays this yeah. year. We the one that we called the Wildcat Ingram, yeah. uh, the handoff, and and then the touchdown run that you had in the first week uh, you know what have you thought about the creativity and and i know you've talked about tim kelly and and the play calling he's done but what have you thought about some of the stuff that For you sure. guys are asked to do on the field no it, it's definitely it, it makes things fun but it also that's that's what you need to have those explosive plays to keep people on their toes to get those those touchdowns that that light up the uh bench things that things that bring momentum your way and uh and i think that, that like i've been able to be a part of things like that now and it makes you feel good. You know, it makes you feel good that you're being used in more creative ways to get in the open space, to do stuff that makes you who you are. And for me, it's a as explosive player. So um, I'm excited to see going forward what we what we do as 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 time goes on. And we got to continue to establish things, kind of kind of uh, get our groove. And when we can do that, we're going to be rolling. So we got to stay healthy. All right, so I've I've heard you refer to yourself as Filthy Phil. Am yeah. I allowed to ask who gave you that nickname? Yeah, yeah actually, so I was in college, and uh, my uh, my best friend, who actually plays for Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Cheeto Bear Wuzier, uh that's like uh, my right hand man, and uh, you know he kind of gave me that name, and it was just more because of doing well on the field and stuff like that, and it's kind of stuck, and ever since then we kind of you know just ran with it, and you know it's. Something that, you know, he calls me every day. So it's something <laughs> you that, you know, that. yeah. So he get, definitely gets the credit for that. Okay. So one of the first things I saw about you was this ESPN feature after yeah. your rookie year. You were living in your parents' basement. Correct. Um, you were undrafted, signed by the – everyone knows your story. Signed yeah. by Denver, and then you made it to the Pro Bowl. So uh, they, you gave a tour of your parents' house yeah. in the basement. We met your family. Now you've got a family of your own. So I have, to, I have to know, what do you miss most about living at home? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just the uh, – just being comfortable. I think being comfortable, knowing that you're going to get a meal cooked and your laundry done <laughs> every nice. day, every yeah. single day, you know. And then on top of that, you know, just going home like it was high school. You know, now, you know, it's, a, it's another part of my life, which, you know, I love. And, you know, it's about growing up now, you know. And, and, and for me, it was, you know, it was a great, it, for me, it was great doing that because it, got, it kept me grounded at that time especially going in, going in as undrafted because you don't know if you're going to make the team at that time. And being able to be for your home state and just know in the ins and outs of the state and everything, it's just, it was just easy. You know, it was easy just to, to live life over there. So, but now it's, it's, uh, it's fun and, and being a dad is fun and, and having, having your own family and responsibilities, that, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. I, I, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that your mom is a great baker yeah and she makes a lot of desserts yeah is it true that she used to have to hide desserts from you when yeah. you're living at home i'm a big i'm a big uh candy person i'm a big chocolate person but desserts in general so if you go to my house i got bags of candy and stuff like that <laughs> but and my son's kind of picking up on my habits so oh I gotta, no yeah i gotta chill chill on you that. gotta hide the candy from yeah. the sun now. oh definitely definitely so but yeah i, I could find candy anytime and, and, and when my mother made desserts you know i was the first one there eating half half the, the cookies or anything else so yeah, I, I heard I she made desserts. something called a magic cookie. What's what's a magic cookie? No, she 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 would make things like uh, like for she, she like Christmas time she made turtles, fudge, and she does uh cookies with uh oatmeal and chocolate chip, 
and those are those are really you know really good and so i i haven't had had any of her her homemade cookies <laughs> and stuff in a long time actually thinking about it i might see oh, if she yeah. can send me some yeah i was like it's hard to stay slim and trim when you're living with mom uh, yeah yeah but you know i'm little anyway so it doesn't it doesn't affect me at, at, right, at this time <laughs> what about your dad your dad used to be a running back yeah. in college so did your was your dad's running style like yours would you yeah, say we, it's, you guys are similar? similar yeah very similar very similar body types littler slimmer um, you know, and I think that's kind of how I got my, my, my running style. My uncle was the same way. We all kind of had the same kind mm. of body built. So, uh, yeah, he, he kind of started it off for me. All right. So with Tim Kelly running the offense, he yeah. talks about the hot hand. Yeah. And, you know, I want to know, like, as a running back, is it, do you, how do you look at that? Because is it easier to get into a rhythm when you've got, when you're, when you're getting all those reps or is it kind of nice to sit back and watch someone else and then you can kind of go yeah. in and, and, and see the field a little bit differently? Yeah, no, you, it, it, it's a it's a two two headed sword with that. You know, it's it's always good when you can get the reps because over time you start to develop, you get comfortable, you start to 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 see tendencies in the game, and then you can start you can make the moves and and make a couple of risks because you're gonna get uh, those opportunities. And sometimes sitting back and, and and watching them, observing and stuff, and and letting things play out is good as well. You know, I think it's how you take it, and uh, it's a long season. It's a long season. And, you know, when you do have talented runbacks like, like we do, um, you definitely want that person who does have the high hand to get his opportunity, you know. And, and so you just kind of – you have to be their eyes and you have to, to, to do your part. And when you go in there, try to make the best of your, your, your reps and go from there because, you know, everybody's going to have their time. And so when it's not your time, you know, it's, it's, it's about observing and taking those mental reps and doing what you can to help the team. And when it is your time, you need to be ready. You need to be ready, and you need to go out there and be able to get that high hand too. So uh, hopefully I can, get, you know, start sparking that up a little bit, you know, when it's time, when the time comes, uh, and try to get some wins, you know, try to try to, try to to uh, be on top of the, the division. So, you know, that's that's our goal. You're definitely the hot hand when it comes to scoring touchdowns. So yeah. your, your group is fun. I mean, the running backs room, I'd great, be lying if I group. said if it wasn't just the most entertaining, one of the yeah. most entertaining groups. So before I let you go, I want to play a little word association. I'm going <laughs> to say one of the running backs, and you're going to say the first word that comes to mind when I say their name. Cool? Yeah. All right. David Johnson. I'm going to say funny because he, he is. He, he's funny. Proper. He, you know, I would say funny and proper. He's funny and proper. Yeah. He's a proper sense of humor. Yeah, yeah he does have. He, he does have proper sense of humor. Okay, Scotty Phillips. Quiet, like a mouse, real quiet. I know. We were doing an interview <laughs> with him, and, and Mark Ingram walked by and called him Scotty Too Hotty. He started laughing. So yeah, Scotty. He had to Scotty's giggle. He likes to giggle a lot, but he is really, really quiet. All right, Rex Burkhead. Smooth, like mm. he's calm, smooth, uh, really, really. Uh, in tune with himself, in, in tune with, with with different things, really cool to talk to. Really right. cool, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Mark Ingram. I would say goofy. Uh, he 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 had a lot a lot of energy, a lot of energy. Um, you know, he's been around for a while. He's seen a lot, and it's you know really good to learn certain things things uh, that you you know I I didn't know. You know, he he's taught me, and um, really good to have in the in the locker room. Energetic is a great word for him because yeah, even really after. Energy. Two, two, three hours of training camp practice, he was still smiling. Oh, yeah. He, home. He, I mean, the rest exactly. of us were dragging, and he was just so sure. himself. There's no reason not to smile. You know, we're in a great situation, no matter good or bad. You're, we're in a great situation um, to take care of our families and to, to learn about each other and just have the opportunity to be around each other is is definitely a, a blessing, you know, to, to be able to do that. All right. And yourself. 
uh, I, I think I'm wild. I think that, <laughs> I think that, like you know, I can start stuff with Mark. Like me, I'm an instigator, so I like oh. to, I like to instigate a lot of things, and I can get under Mark's skin. <laughs> so that's a funny thing, you know. That's we're fun- like we're like funny. brothers, you know. what I mean, like that's the first thing Coach DV, our running back coach, asked was like, "How long did we know about each? You know, know each other?" And you know what's funny is we never really knew knew each other like that, other than the football world, sure. you know. You know, because he was all, all across the the, the, the state, yeah, yeah, countries and stuff. Why I'm, you know, I was in Denver, so but like it's like we, like when we got together, it's like we we knew each other f- from the start. Yeah. So you know, and that's that's a great bond to have. Yeah, you guys do certainly get along. I feel like we've known you for a long time, too. You've been yeah. fun to get to know. Always a pleasure, Philip. Hey, stop by anytime. I appreciate you guys having me. I know Mark and I talked a lot about the running game in the first segment and if there's something that this coaching staff over the next few days, over the weekend. And look, you never know when you're going to find the secret sauce, if you will. I know, and this goes back to my coaching days a long, long time ago, I always wanted to be a guy through the ball. Because as I was a young coach, I was spending a lot of time with coaches, uh, one in particular, a good friend of mine, Brady Ackerman, who's now the head coach at Bellevue High, Bellevue High School in Florida. And he played for Coach Spurrier. And he also then became a coach with uh, Hal Mummy. So they were, we were always throwing the ball. And I, I just loved the look of it. I loved everything about it. And so I, I wanted to do it. And then I tried to do it with my guys when I was coaching, and it just didn't happen. And I remember we got absolutely skull drug, and it was bad. And I just was miserable the whole weekend. I was like, you know what? I got to find something to do, find something to do. And as I was just kind of looking around my office, I happened to see Oklahoma, a picture of Oklahoma Sooners. And I thought, option, maybe this will work. Went, put it in. Little bit by little bit, but just enough to kind of get it going. And the next week, we ran for about 175 yards, and the option accounted for a lot of it. Kept adding more and more. And over the next couple of years, we were averaging about 285 yards per game on the ground, just running it. And it was just something over the weekend. You know, I thought, man, we got to do something different. And something came to mind, and we went with it. Now, is it that drastic for the Texans? No, but things have got to be fixed. So whether it's new scheme, New something, I don't know, but they got to figure it out, and hopefully Phil Lindsay uh, is going to be a factor in getting that thing turned around. All right, we get back. We got some Houston Methodist minutes. It's about shoulder injuries, and man, I know about shoulder injuries. We'll have that next right here in Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All. Access. We got one final short segment of this first hour of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst. Sideline reporter and a guy who, over the years, has had shoulder issues galore. Well, that's where our Houston Methodist Minutes come in because Mark Vandermeer, each and every week, sits down with one of the great doctors from Houston Methodist, and they hit on a particular topic, and today it's shoulder injuries, sort of like the one Nico Collins suffered in Cleveland Let's hear Mark and one of the great doctors from Houston Methodist right about now. It's Houston Methodist Minutes, and joining us right now is Dr. Mark LeBay from Houston Methodist. Doctor, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on. Let's talk shoulder injuries here. I want to start here because they gave me some notes. Rotator cuff is the first thing I see. But let's talk about this. Shoulder separation or the shoulder popping out. We have a lot of football vernacular here. Oh, shoulder popped out. Let's just pop it back in. What happens when that happens? Normally, when people are talking about the shoulder popping out, you're talking about a dislocation. That means the ball actually pops out of the socket. 
And in football, it's not an uncommon thing. Obviously, a violent collision sports. And in football, actually, we get um, something that's relatively rare in other activities, and that's a shoulder popping out the back. We see that often in offensive and defensive linemen. Um, not common to see otherwise. Now, when that happens, do you need surgery eventually to correct that, perhaps? Or is it just a matter of healing whatever occurred when the shoulder popped out? Most of the time, actually, that's surgical. If you're going to continue to play a collision sport like football, because the the tissue that gets damaged when it does pop out doesn't generally heal itself very well. And if you're going to continue to do those kinds of activities, that's that's very often something surgical. All right. Now, rotator cuff muscles. We hear about this for pitchers, for quarterbacks. What occurs when you hurt your rotator cuff? Well, the rotator cuff um, is actually a group of four muscles and tendons that help stabilize the ball in the socket. So when those tendons get too much strain and it's it's not a common thing in football, but it can be with prolonged throwing. Uh, Think Drew Brees when he had his shoulder dislocated and tore his rotator cuff at the same time. Um, the tendon actually tears from the bone or gets a hole in it. And so we're, we're structurally trying to repair that, the hole in that tendon. That's a, that's a big recovery for a, for a thrower. So for some rotator cuff injuries, maybe don't need surgery. Others you do. How does that work? Well, if you don't necessarily tear the tendon from the bone uh, and you just strain the muscle or you get some uh, irritation of the tendons or tendonitis, then a lot of times that's rehab, you know, perhaps a cortisone shot to get it to calm down, a lot of strengthening those muscles to get the uh, to get the shoulder to work well and for the pain to go away. All right. And prevention of shoulder injuries, specifically rotator cuff, doctor. Yeah, the biggest thing in our throwing athletes is doing exercises ahead of time. We see this all the times in uh, little league baseball players where they kind of hang around and they don't do a lot of shoulder exercises. Then they get out and they throw a whole bunch. Those muscles and the, and the muscles that stabilize the shoulder blade need time to get ready, to get stronger. And so you're doing some, you know, rotator cuff exercises, a lot of pulling exercises to strengthen everything so that when you go and you do all that throwing, your shoulder's ready to go. So rehabbing, or I should say prehabbing, is the, is the way to go to avoid those. Prehabbing, I like that. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Dr. Mark LeBay of Houston Methodist, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Over the years, man, I have had shoulder issues. I guess it's all those years of playing ball, but eh, goes with the territory, I would think. All right, in our final hour, we're going to have a visit with David Johnson. I got my predictions, but coming up next is one of my great friends from the Houston Texans actually spending time with Drew. He's cheating on me. That's my good friend David Anderson with little Where Are They Now? That's next on Texans All Access. We got one hour in the books of this two-hour edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one of my favorite players of all time with the Texans is a man by the name of David Anderson. I see Danny Amendola wearing number 89. They're about the same height and build. So I always think of D.A. when I think and see uh, Danny Amendola. Again, D.A. Hmm, interesting. That said, David Anderson was one of my favorites. We met him in 2007 uh, when I was working at a different radio station along with Sean Pendergast, and he became a go-to for us on so many different levels. And if anybody ever heard that radio, you know it was great radio when David Anderson joined us on the air, and he joins us on the air tonight doing it with Drew Doherty in a Where Are They Now segment. 
former Texan, David Anderson, wide receiver in the NFL for six years, five and change of those are with the Texans, joins me now. Where are they now? David, you're in front of, you're in front of a blue shed. What's going on, man? Where are you now? And what are you? I, I'm in El Segundo, California. I live in Manhattan Beach, California, but not too far from my hometown, Thousand Oaks. Uh, I run a company called Breakaway Data, which helps uh, athletes uh, collect and utilize their data in uh, performance. Um, so I'm a, I'm a Moneyball dork now, which is great. Um, uh, finished ball, went to school, and I've been doing this ever since. And I think some people who just who maybe don't know you would say, oh, that's that's kind of a weird transition for people who have been around you. That's not an odd transition at all. You always had something going on upstairs in between your ears. You were always kind of a, I don't know, curious player when you were in the league. You kind of took an interest in a lot of different things and did a, mm -hmm. a lot of different. How did you, though, segue from the NFL into that? Yeah, so um, I was always taking advantage of the NFL, what were called BM&E programs, business management, entrepreneur programs um at different uh, graduate schools so i did the one at kellogg wharton um and stanford um and then when i finished ball went back to school uh you know my mom was a little disappointed disappointed in me that i picked colorado state over some better schools i won't say which ones um but uh so i went back to graduate school got my mba um focused on data science my dad was an engineer um so i had that side going on i was always good at math in high school i was kind of the dork that was in the math mod competitions and whatnot just took a liking to it. And then I think more than anything, I knew I wanted to be involved in sports. I wanted to be involved in ball. Um, I didn't have enough uh, stones to go back into the coaching world and kind of do that whole thing as, as much as I admire and I'm jealous of those guys. That, that's always uh, something I wasn't willing to do to myself or my family. And then I knew I wanted to do some form of media. Um, so I've been, I've always dabbled in kind of that stuff, but I feel like yeah. data gives me an interesting kind of storytelling aspect of the media, media play, instead of just being a pundit and kind of saying my opinion kind of gives me a little more, um, base in my opinion. So I've been doing that for a while and, uh, it's been a success and it's been a lot of fun. Although you might think every now and then when Danny Amendola runs around in, in 89, that that's me, <laughs> you know, I, he was a roommate of mine back in the day. No. Okay. So that's interesting. You bring that up because my first year working for the Texans was 2009. It was one of your best years with the Texans. And before you guys played the Rams in St. Louis, I was down on the field shooting some photos for a, a pregame photo slideshow. And I had come from Lubbock. I'd worked there for four years. So I'd covered Danny and I covered mm -hmm. him in the kind of the pre-draft process. He was hoping he'd get drafted. I don't know that he was necessarily thinking, Hey, I'm definitely, but I covered it and I, and mm -hmm. I covered him gave him a bro hug and you were actually warming up and you're like, oh, those two guys talking about, it. and you came over and started chit chatting with them. And it was just kind of cool to see, I think an appreciation because you were sort of an undersized receiver. Yep, as well. yep. We, we have, we have a bond, you know, yeah, it's like when yeah. two deers recognize each other in the wild. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we had seen each other. I mean, I, I was in your, when I met Danny for, uh, it was, it was really the lockout year, 2011. Yeah. Um, Julian Elman, Danny, and myself uh, were kind of roommates or, or living all in the same city. Not Julian that. and I were roommates. Um, I just saw the work, ec worth ec work ethic of those guys, the determination. Um, they were all about ball. You know what I mean? I, 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 I knew they had a chance. You always got to have a little bit of luck on your side. Yeah. Um, and um, they took advantage of every opportunity given to them and more. Uh, they earned everything that those guys got because they certainly, you know, Danny and Julian, not to pair those guys together but danny has certainly earned everything that's come his way so sure. uh, hats off to him he's had a still having a great career you know comes in shows up what on tuesday scores a touchdown on sunday so um i'm i'm, I'm proud of him so i'm happy to say i know him yeah it was awesome to see and 
I mean, it was, it was not surprising. If you know that guy, it was not surprising. It's funny not to make this all about Danny Amendola because we want to be about you, but my last little add on to it was I was talking with him last week and he said the first snap I was in the game, I knew the ball was coming to me and it wasn't a touchdown. It was on the first drive and he, he got like an eight or nine yarder, but he said he knew the ball was coming to him just because mm-hmm. of what he'd seen and uh, all of that in the background. So I'm sure he's got a little bit of the matrix going on in there. He's been there amazing? a long time. He sees what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens for every athlete at, at some point in their career when you've been yeah. there long enough where um, the speed of your legs is, 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 is fast enough, which where Danny is and the speed of the game is slow. So you can take advantage of those situations. You just got to hope that those don't, those don't flip flop ever. Yeah. Hey, analytics, uh, that's a very wide ranging word. It covers a lot of different things. What exactly are you doing analytics wise? What, what does your company do? Yeah. So, um, our focus is, is, is helping the athlete, but first better understand and collect their own data, right? I I think a simple way to describe it is mint.com for athletes, uh, performance data, right? There's Apple health kit and there's other things that, that collect your data and information. What we do is we help an athlete better understand how their off field uh, performance affects their on-field performance, right? And Apple Health Kit doesn't tell you about your yards, your targets, your pre- catching percentage and stuff like that, what you value from an athlete perspective. So we bring that money ball uh, aspect to, uh, to, to an athlete, right? For forever, it's been sold to teams and they've certainly taken advantage of that situation. Um, and, and we've helped a lot of teams along the way, but now I want to kind of pivot and focus to athletes, um, helping them better understand and get more use out of their data. Because I think when you know, kind of like the rising tide raises all ships. Uh, yeah. If we can increase the data literacy and competency of, of athletes, help them use their data for more information, help them with their performance. And, and, and we've all seen like with GDPR and all this stuff, like da- your data is yours. How can we help an athlete get more of it that, uh, and, and maximize it? That's our whole, our whole thesis. That's awesome, man. That's really cool to hear. And congratulations on the success and best of luck to more success down the line. Let's rewind it though, back to when you're coming out of Colorado State, Highly productive uh, receiver for the Rams. You get picked by the Texans. You're in one of the best drafts, probably the best draft in franchise history. What was that day like when you got selected? Did you think, hey, I got a chance to go in there because of kind of the, the sort of Colorado State mafia that was uh, happening here in Houston at the time? Or what was that day like for you? So I started the mafia. You can call me the Tony <laughs> Soprano of the uh, Colorado State mafia that was at CSU for a little, or at, 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 on the Texans for a while. Um, you know what, like you go through the process in your mind during draft day. Now I was picked 251. So I had a lot of time to think and go through a lot of kind of uh, things. I wasn't like Mario picked number one. Um, So I remember the different coaches talking to me. I remember the different um, uh, teams. I remember the different, what agents had told me, what my agent had told me, all these different things. I'm trying to weigh this as as draft picks, you know, come and go as guys that I thought or knew that I was much better than got picked ahead of me. Um, you just, I just felt this, you know, the, that chip on your shoulder grow and grow and grow. And, you know, I was getting more frustrated. And then I remembered, uh, so sixth round comes along and uh, the Denver Broncos call me and they say, hey, if you don't get picked up uh, in the seventh, we're going to bring you on as a free agent. And they had just uh, taken Brandon Marshall. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's a good fit for me. And then I was kind of looking and my agent and I got on a phone call and he's like, Hey, here's all right. I think your three teams are, if you don't get picked up, they're all offering good deals. Da, 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 da. I was like, all right. So, um, so then the phone rings and I thought it was going to be an agent and know who, to, who was going to be. And it was coach Kubiak. And he's like, Hey, we're going to, this is uh, Kubes. We're going to pick you up here in the seventh round. And I was like, 
all right. And I remember when I finished my 40, like at that time, I, I it clicked for me at that time. I finished my 40 Coop told me, Hey, if you're available late in the draft, we're going to pick you up. Now they didn't have a six round. They either didn't have a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick. I don't remember which one it was. Cause Wally Lundy, I think, I don't know if Wally Lundy was fifth or sixth. Um, but we went Mario Williams, D'Amico Ryans, Eric Winston, Chester Pitts, um, Owen Daniels, Wally Lundy, and myself. And well, Chester was Chester was an original. I'm not Chester Pitts. Yeah, um, I know it's Charles, um, Charles Spencer. Spencer. Charles he was a Spencer. good. He was a good boy. He was off to a great start, and then and you know, broke his broke yeah. his leg. But yeah. Um. But anyway, so like I remember getting picked up, and and then immediately thinking like, all right, here we go. And then the phone hung up, and then the next phone call I got was Joe Joe Marciano was like, "Are you ready to play special teams? You ready to run out and kick off and cause hell?" And I was like, no, I want to catch passes and touchdowns. But of course, when you're <laughs> drafted, you're like, yeah, I'll do whatever it needs, coach. Da, 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 da. And and, uh, and you quickly learn when you get to the NFL, you know what I mean? I think what's crazy is that you get drafted, at least that's how it was back then. The dates were a little different now. You get drafted, and then like two weeks later, your helmet's on practicing. Yeah. And you quickly realize how little you know about football, right? And that like you're in a you're with a group of grown men who've been doing this for a profession and like you are just following what the script says or whatever and it doesn't look like that once the you know once once the the humans are actually running around and you're like well all the dots on the page are the same size except that guy's six seven 290 (laughs) pounds and this guy's like the fastest human i've ever seen in my life that his dot moves faster than mine so um you got to find out who you are and find your fit pretty quickly otherwise you'll find your way out of the locker room yeah, and a lot of noble guys, thousands of them over the years have not survived that May. You know, like they're yeah. they're gone or that summer. Yeah. You stuck around in the end and you were an active on the active roster through six years. I mean, yeah. you were there at a time too that was very, very uh it was a turning point in, in franchise history because they never won. You nope. get there, that first year's tough, but then next year, the year after, you get to 500, which that was a big deal. Year after that, you guys win nine games and and had a chance yeah when you walk off the field that day you still are in the playoff hunt depending on what happened later in the day that didn't happen but yeah you were you were part of a a, a transition there texans wise what was that like seeing them kind of turn a little bit of a corner so to speak you know what it was looking back at it it's uh hindsight you know you you wish you had a little more of that when you're um when you're playing and, and whatnot like I don't think any of us knew we were part of that, right? You train year in, year out, and you always think you got a chance. Um, you, you, you put better players on your team, and you figure, like, you know, this might be another win or two, uh, but, you know, everyone does that. So uh, um, you, you quickly realize when you step out there that every Sunday it's, it's going to be tough. I think what really was really hard for us was to win those really close games. When you follow the NFL, and it doesn't matter who it is, you either consistently win or consistently lose those games that come down to a field goal in the fourth quarter or a possession here or there. And for a while we couldn't get over that hump and we got over it enough to be eight and eight, nine and seven. I think, you know, like you mentioned, I think we went eight and eight, like two, two of those years. Right. Um, but we weren't getting over that hump of, of, of winning those really close games consistently. You look at the elite teams when you roll off, you know, six, seven, eight wins in a row, they're, they're winning three of those games by a touchdown or less. And it's probably coming down to the last drive. Yeah, sometimes even more. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we, we, it took us a while to get over that um, and, and figure that out um, and just how meaningful every possession is in the NFL. Um, and uh, you know, that takes some maturity and, and it took, it took the guys in the locker room growing up and growing up with each other and realizing that the guy next to you has been through this situation. 
Um, and that was just something it, it, it took us a while to do. I also didn't realize how new the Texans were until I came back to California my first and second year, you know, like even my second year in the NFL, which would have been 2008. And the Texans would have been around for six years at that point. I'd tell, you know, friends or whatever, I'd be at a restaurant. They'd be like, what team do you play for? I'd be like, oh, the Texans. Then I'd be like, oh, yeah, you guys beat USC in the Rose Bowl. I'm like, no, that's the University of Texas. And then, like, and they'd be like, yeah. you guys are a real NFL team? And I'd be like, oh, wow. Like, we have, you know what I mean? It's different when yeah. you're like, oh, I go to play for the Steelers. And this team's had sure. this tradition for, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, the Texans are getting there, you know what I mean? But they're no longer a team that people don't know of or recognize. But we were, we were you're right, going through that kind of, like, teen you almost like it wasn't teen because yeah. we're around that long yet but it is those teenager years where you're trying to find your identity who oh, you are as, as an organization hey on a personal level you just discussed how you get out there for the first time and you're you've kind of got wide eyes when did you think hey i belong here or i can hang there did you ever not think that what was that like for you was there a moment that made that happen i tell you i was confused my second year i got cut my second year i thought i thought i knew my second year and I got cut and then I immediately got brought back, uh, that, that second year. Um, and so that's when I, that, that set me back about a year, even my third year in training camp, I was announced as the third receiver and that I was going to be taking all the slot roles. It felt like it was something that I was constantly fighting to hold on to. And I think that, um, that just reminded me how tough it was to stay in the NFL. So I can't say only in games did I feel comfortable, right? Like I felt like every practice, every, every training camp I was fighting for a spot. And I, I don't think that that's not everyone, you know what I mean? That's, but that is for about 43 of the 53 guys on a roster, sure. right? Everyone's, you know, there's about 10, maybe 15 guys that know are confident enough that even if they have a, a decent training camp, they're going to be starting. I, that was never an option for me. I had to have a lights out training camp. I had to be there every day, I had to show up at, at practice and perform. Um, and uh, I think that's something that has definitely helped me out as I transition out of sports. Cause I didn't have to be like that at Colorado state. I certainly didn't have to be like that at high school. I could not practice four out of five days in high school and show up and have four touchdowns. Same probably at Colorado state, but that wasn't, that wasn't who I was in the NFL. I wasn't Andre Johnson who could take, you know, Wednesday, Thursday off practice, go through the walkthrough and then still come out and have an amazing catch against the dolphins and beat yeah. them in overtime or something like that. So um, kind of like what I mentioned, you quickly learn who you are in the NFL. And that wasn't who I was. I, I, I did get comfortable in games. I can't remember a, like a, a kind of like, like I was mentioning about Amendola matrix moment against the Seahawks. Right. Um, that in 2009 year, uh, where I had a choice route, I knew he was inside leverage, but he would fall for the South side move. Matt and I, Matt Shaw and I were on the same page. I was patient. He fell for the move. Boom. Got inside, had like a nice 35 yard gain. And I was like, ah, there it is. And I kind of <laughs> felt my felt my feet get under me a little bit. So it happens, but it, it certainly isn't like, you know, not never got to Tom Brady status where it's uh, just walking around, standing in the pocket out there. Yeah. You just bring up that matrix play that you had. Was that, that's not also your highlight is like, what's the, your most favorite memory, you know, on the field in a game with the Texans, is it? <sighs> you have one or are they many or. You know, I, I think I had many, I didn't really have, um, you know, I had some, Pretty memorable touchdowns. Obviously, I have some silly Conan dance and stuff like that. I was, was going to come up. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. That, that. That always comes up. I always tell people I was planning on scoring a lot more touchdowns, so that would have been drowned out. And YouTube was just coming around, so sure. like, I, I wasn't sure it ended up on the YouTube, but I'm I'm fine with that. Um, the 
you know what? It was funny. I got cut before we actually made the playoffs. So I wasn't in the locker room when we made that playoff team. But the most memorable game and team, uh, whoever part of it was when we went into Green Bay. Uh, it was December. It was probably negative three. And I was Snowy. part of that last drive where uh, Chris Brown hit the game-winning field goal. I'll never forget walking into the huddle. And uh, everyone was kind of wide-eyed. And I look at Owen Daniels, and I was like, who wants to be a hero? And no one's like, I want to be a hero. I'm like, dude, we have a chance to like beat Green Bay at Green Bay in minus two degree weather. Like this hasn't happened before. And uh, we did it. And that locker room was special. It felt like uh, felt like we'd actually accomplished something that hadn't been done in uh, franchise history before. Yeah. All right. You're back in Southern California. You're in one of the greatest spots in the world, Manhattan Beach. It's an awesome place to visit, awesome place to live, I'm sure, if you're living there. Um, what do you miss most, though, about the city of Houston from your time here? Because you were here for a bit. Yeah. Um, well, I can start with the restaurants. Um, Los Angeles has good restaurants, but not in the kind of like spacing uh, that, that Houston has. Right. Um, I miss the space. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> the of- beach towns are great, but my neighbor lives about this far away from where I do. Um, and the uh, the traffic uh, is way worse out here than it is out there. Um, the weather is way better here than it is out there. So I don't miss the weather. Um, I'll tell you like the, the, the people of Houston, I think um, when I was there, it seemed like there was this kind of transition Katrina transition. There was a lot of more Southern kind of New Orleans flavor that came into Houston. And it was fun to see that city kind of evolve into the flavor that it is. Cause it's a lot different than any other city in Texas um and that like it's it's nothing like dallas it's kind of got a little bit of austin in there and because it's got the got the uniqueness and it's got the people have their own their own colorful behavior um, but it has a lot more of kind of that southern kind of draw that comes into people's kind of language and whatnot and so i do miss that you know in californians we have our own it's not something i hear because I, I probably sound like that but i do miss i do miss texans in general and uh, i i do think what was fun about texans is that like they have a natural love and hate relationships with Californians, right? We're like the only them in New York, maybe Florida people too, are the only states that will just argue in terms of a state, which is better. It's not like anyone from Colorado is arguing with Texas on who's better, but Californians can argue with Texas. And I always enjoyed that kind of conversation and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, I'd say those those are up there as things I miss the most. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love Texas. I'm from here. I'm a Houstonian, but when the Texans played the Chargers a couple of years ago, I, I went and hung out with a buddy who's now living in California. And we met in the middle in Manhattan Beach. And I was like, I could live here. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I see why you're there. There's, yeah, there's no, uh, it makes no, it easy. No stunner there. Hey, how about <laughs> former Texans teammates? You keep, I'm, I imagine you still keep in touch with a few of them, don't you? Yeah, a bunch. Um, still really close with Eric Winston, really close with Owen Daniels. Um, Talk pretty frequently with uh, Andre, uh, Aaron Foster, uh, keep up with him. Obviously, Joel Dreesen, Mike Brizel from my college. Joel Dreesen yeah. just made it into the Colorado State Hall of Fame. So, Good for Joel. Um, that, that, was, that was a big accomplishment for him. Um, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, D'Amico, you know what? Okay, so I always tell this funny story about my first year. I'll tell it really fast. Um, my rookie year, uh, we, were, we were sitting around. It's July 28th. We're sitting around. It's like this after the second day at camp. And Coach Kubiak says, hey, you guys, we got an announcement. Uh, it's someone's birthday here. We're really excited about him. Uh, he's been really contributing. Uh, we brought him in this year. We know he's going to kick. And I was like thinking, like, brought me in this year. It's, it's my birthday, July 28th. Not, I guess he's talking about me. Really going to kill. He's going to kill it, blah, blah, blah. He's going to start for us. He's going to dominate. 
blah, blah. Everybody give it up for Anthony Weaver. And so Weaver, everyone claps for Weaver. And then someone, I think it was Cooper or, uh, you know, Kevin Cooper comes up or maybe it was Wiley comes up, whispers in Kubiak's ear and he goes, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. We got one more birthday. And I was like, okay, he's going to get to me. And he's like, uh, we drafted this guy. You know, we, we think the world of him. I was like, oh, he's giving me all these compliments. You know, he's out here, you know, killing it, blah, blah, blah. I think he's going to be a starter. He's going to be a leader for this team. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone give it up for D'Amico Ryans. And so to me, everyone's so I'm like, holy crap. Anthony Weaver, D'Amico Ryans. And then they didn't, didn't shout out for my birthday. Seventh round pick gets no love. But it was a big bonding moment. So every year I text Weaver and D'Amico, happy birthday. And then they wait like a day to send it back to me because it was always a joke that like uh, Kubiak forgot the seventh rounder's birthday. But um, so I keep up with Weaver um D'Amico um you know Stenovich Stenovich uh who played for us who's now the offensive line coach in Green Bay I talked to him uh every now and then um remember Vaughn Hutchins played for us for quarterback scout for the Raiders I talked with Vaughn here and there um let's see I don't know you know sprinkled in and out there I've been uh you mingled you always mingled well at least as an as an observer you always mingled well with just about everybody in the locker room you're you kind of talked with because it's not always like that, you know, you're, no. you're kind of some people are more to themselves and you uh, you were good about that. I always remember it seemed like you always had a really good relationship, too, with Jacoby Jones, who I contend is a is a genius in the sense of he could go into a party that you're throwing. He could go into a party that I'm throwing. He'd go into a party uh, that this guy off to the side is, is he's working on the computer right here that he's throwing. And he would be the life of those, any of those parties. doesn't matter yeah. if your grandmother's party, he would be the life of any party he walked into. He's that type. Is, isn't that an accurate statement when you say? We were both chameleons. I think he is definitely more of a life of a party as well as, well as I, I will, I will make him the life of the party. I'm right. a promoter. Um, but I could, I, I fit in those situations. I think that's why we both had a lot of friends throughout the locker room yeah. uh, and hung out and got along well, even though we were oftentimes competing for, you know, competing sure. for passes and competing for a spot on the roster um he's yeah I, I talked with Jacoby here and there I haven't spoken spoke with him in a while but yeah he is uh in a similar way I'll never forget so he came and he was the only black guy at a party one time and he, he was like I'm perfectly fine blah blah, blah. and we went and he killed it just like you mentioned yeah. he was the life of the party and then I went to like a receiver defensive line party and I was only white or uh only, only white dude and Jacoby and Andre like he'll be fine don't leave him like he'll be he'll he'll mingle and so like I you know I mean there was always yeah. Worry about your teammates kind of every now and then, because the, the real world is not like a locker room where sure. like it's a safe place to communicate. The locker room is a safe place to communicate, to be yourself, to to say things you wouldn't otherwise say. Um, and some people are scared of that when they, when they get in the real world. But Jacoby and I and, and there, there's certainly a lot of others um, that can kind of socialize in any situation. But, yeah, I agree. Jacoby, uh, Jacoby couldn't be invited to my grandmother, grandmother's 97th birthday and he'd kill it. Yep. He sure would. Man, that was a great walk down memory lane with our Where Are They Now segment with David Anderson. Oh, miss that guy, man. I miss that guy. But I appreciate Drew for catching up with him. All right, we get back. We're going to have my predictions straight up and against the spread and maybe mix in a couple of college ones as well next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. All right, all right, here we go. It's my favorite segment of the week. It's time to get my prediction straight up against the spread on the board. And why not throw in a couple of 
college predictions because there's a massive game in Arlington between former Southwest Conference foes and two ranked teams, the Hogs and the Aggies. We'll do that in a little bit. So let's do this. And by the way, I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans and also owner and proprietor of footballtakeover.com. I say it this way, left brain, Texans, right brain, college football, left brain, Texans, HoustonTexas.com, right brain, footballtakeover.com for all my college stuff. That's, hey, we all got left and right brain. It's just football and football. It's basically how it goes. Okay, let's do these predictions, but I need my music, and there it is. All right, let's go to Buffalo, the next opponent of your Texans, taking on the Washington football team. Buffalo's a seven-point favorite. We're going to go with the Bills here maybe getting on a little bit of a roll before the Texans head up there on October 2nd. I think Buffalo's going to win that thing by 10. I don't think Washington scores much. Taylor Heineke runs into a little bit of a resistance, even though they're coming off the mini-buy and a longer rest. I think the Bills got the win last week down in Miami. They'll get the win against Washington. The Bears and the Browns, both teams 1-1. One one. Cleveland at home is a 7.5-point favorite. Justin Fields will start for the Bears, and that will get the Bears inside the 7.5. The Browns win. Let's go 24-19 as the Browns get the win, move to 2-1. and one. But the Bears get the cover with Justin Fields as the starting quarterback. The Ravens coming off in a huge Sunday night win over the Kansas City Chiefs. We're taking on the Detroit Lions in Detroit. Baltimore is favored by 7.5. I don't love the hook. The Lions have shown some moments there have been some moments where the Lions have played very, very well. There have been some moments where the Lions are, if you could combine their good moments in one game and bad moments in the other, they would have an upset win over the Niners or the Packers, and they would have a loss to the Niners or the Packers. But they didn't do it all in one game, so they're 0-2. Ravens win, and the Lions cover. I think this is going to get inside the 7.5. Let's take the Ravens win by 7 uh, over the Lions in Detroit. The Colts and the Titans, AFC South, baby. Don't know if Carson Wentz is going to play. He's back at practice. He's questionable for this game. I don't think it matters. I think the Titans' win over Seattle will kind of get them kick-started. The Titans are favored by five and a half. Titans are going to win this thing by a touchdown and beat the Indianapolis Colts regardless of who plays quarterback. And that will protect me because I think it ultimately could be Brett Hundley or Jacob Eason. So let's go with Titans to win by more than five and a half. The Chargers are taking on the Chiefs. One and one versus one and one. It's in Kansas City. Justin Herbert versus Patrick Mahomes. I think the Chiefs bounce back at home. This is going to be more than seven. It's going to take the over. I think the Chargers and Chiefs will put up some points. But in the end, I'm guessing like 42-31 Chiefs. That's definitely hitting the over, and it's a cover for the Chiefs. The Saints and the Patriots, Mac Jones v. Jameis Winston. The Patriots are favored by three only because they're at home. This is sort of, that's sort of, it is a pick em basically, but I'm going to go with the Patriots at home. The defense is playing pretty well. I think the defense will stymie anything the Saints try to do offensively, although the Saints can't be worse uh, offensively than they were against the Panthers a week before. That said, Patriots, low scoring, 21, no, no, not even, 17-13. They'll cover the three and win outright. Two 0-2 teams. The Falcons and the Giants are playing in the Meadowlands. The Giants, a gut punch on Thursday night. Last Thursday, the Giants are favored by three. I'm going to take the Giants to win this thing. 
Three seems about right, but because I'm feeling sassy, I'm going with the Giants to win that thing by more than three. Giants at home move to one and two. Falcons fall to 0-3 as Arthur Smith still looking for his first win in the NFL. AFC North battle. Bengals take it on Steelers. Steelers are only favored by three in this one, which a little odd. Maybe there's a little bit of a... Uh, movement in relation to last week's loss to the Raiders, but I think the Steelers bounce back. They move the two and one. They win this thing by a touchdown or more. Steelers cover the three, beat the Bengals outright. The Cardinals at two and zero oh, go to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now this is the East Coast game. Negative body clock. Arizona's favored by seven and a half. I think they work the Jaguars. This feels thirty-one twenty-one at a minimum. Could be thirty-eight. 14 sort of thing, but I think the Cardinals are going to score all day long. D-Hop's questionable, but that's not surprising. Uh, I think he'll play. He always plays. So Cardinals to win and win big. Another 0-2 versus 2-0. This, this time, though, the 2-0 teams at home. The Denver Broncos take on the New York Jets. Denver's favored by 10.5. I believe this is Denver's first home game, and they're coming back with a 2-0 record. They're going to be geeked up. It's an afternoon game. I think the Broncos win this thing by a couple touchdowns. They frustrate Zach Wilson. I do think in the second half, Zach Wilson will make a few plays. But in the end, the Broncos, too rich, too good. They get to win, and they're going to get that cover of the 10.5. Raiders, Dolphins in Las Vegas. It's a rematch of last year's late-season game where Fitzy made that great throw to get the Dolphins a crazy win. This thing will happen. Not this time. Las Vegas favored by 3.5. They'll win this by a touchdown. Dolphins will fall to 1-2, and, and the Raiders move to three and oh the bucks take it on the Rams. it's the game of the day bucks only favored by one i think that's a mistake i think the bucks are the better team sorry this is in la the bucks only favored by one I, it doesn't matter in la or not i'm taking the bucks to win that thing outright and they'll cover that one in doing it seahawks go to the vikings seahawks was struggled last week in the second half to the titans Vikings had just struggled, period. Seattle's favored by two. I'm taking the Seahawks to win and the Vikings to move to 0-3. And then on Sunday night, the Packers, the Niners, San Francisco favored by three. The Packers make it close, but the 49ers are going to get the win and cover the three as Aaron Rodgers is stymied yet again. And then the world of college football. The Hogs, the Aggies in Jerry World, ain't in favor by five and a half. And I think it's time for the Aggies to hit their stride and get a big W over a very physical and athletic Arkansas team. This will be AM's best win to date when they get it on Saturday. Games at 2.30 in Arlington. All right, we get back. How about a little David Johnson doing Drew's Dozen right here on Texans All Access? I am calling all my Houston area teachers out there. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Materials presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Materials is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Materials to learn more. And one of Toro's really good friends is our next guest and our last guest of the week, and that is David Johnson, and each and every Friday, I give Drew Doherty the final word. And in this case, I'm giving the final word through his own dozen. It's Drew's dozen with David Johnson. Drew, take it away. First things first, you're a triplet. Yes. How often do you keep in touch with your other two siblings? Uh, quite often. Um, you know, during the season, it's a lot tougher. But in the offseason, uh, a lot more. 
daily basis, weekly basis? What right. are we talking Probably weekly. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like I said, I get busy. They're busy working and taking care of their family. And you were never able to pull off the, like, the twin gags on people. <laughs> it's a little tough because. Uh, they're girls. Yeah, they're girls. Yeah. So <laughs> did they ever try and pull that uh, sort no, of thing? not too much. They wore the same clothes. Like, uh, they both wear matching clothes, but not too much. Yeah. You know, Justin McRae's offensive lineman, he has a twin brother. And he said he and his twin brother would pull that sort of stuff. But then. Their mom found out about it when they were in fourth grade. And from then on, they had to be in the same classroom because they had been switching um. classrooms. So I thought that was kind of funny. And I, I ask you this. I have twins. My wife and I had twins or, you know, a boy and a girl. And they're eight years old now. So it's, it always interests me in multiples. So <laughs> very cool to hear. What are your favorite nicknames? For me that people give me? Yes. I don't have too many. Um, no. DJ is obviously a common one. Uh, as an elementary kid, I don't even want to say it. One was like D smiles, I smile a lot. Cause you're a happy young guy, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I had Roadrunner. Roadrunner. I was fast. I was pretty fast. Yeah. I think I still am. Uh, so growing up, I had that one. Other than that, I didn't have too many. How much did you like track and field? I know you ran it, but how much did you like being at a track meet when you're not running and you're just kind of hanging out? Oh, I'm talking like, like in high school and oh, college. Yeah. yeah. In high school, that's that was probably the best part of track. Yeah. You only run for event, do for events. They not they might not all be running. Have some field events. So that was the best part is just being able to socialize with friends um, and hanging out. And you, honestly, like a hundred meters is what eleven seconds, ten seconds. So <laughs> you do all that <laughs> warm uh, warm up and stuff for eleven seconds. And I loved the four hundred. So uh, four by four and open four hundred was um, my favorite race. But Track, honestly, was probably one of my favorite sports just for that reason. We got to socialize and hang out with friends a, a lot more. There's something and there's something about a big trap meet, track meet, too, oh, yeah. and that downtime at a track meet. Yes. Like, what's the best part of it? Besides socializing, you say socializing with friends, but there's a lot of different ways to do that. Oh, yeah. I, I ran track. I was a distance guy. But knowing what went down, like, there was always some weird thing going on at a track meet when you're not running, right? Oh, yeah. There's always uh, – usually we go eat. Someone's eating some – weird because that's their superstition right so like drake relays is huge and yeah yeah it's so, one of the biggest track meets in the nation exactly yeah. so when we got to, when we did that um one of the coolest things is seeing obviously professional and college athletes and then seeing how they warm up and seeing how fast they are in person yeah and then another thing we always like to do is get outside the stadium and go and like get shirts or drake relay shirts um, but probably the funniest thing is just what people would eat like we had one guy he <laughs> would go to subway we go to subway and instead of ordering a normal sub, he would get a, basically a cheese, a grilled cheese. But then they would charge him for as a normal sub. Right. Like, Why would you do that? Why don't you just go like somewhere else and get a grilled cheese? But he would literally just get cheese and bread. Did and it pay off for this guy? He was uh, he was pretty good. He was he was more of a uh, mid distance guy. Okay. And uh, we just never understood why he didn't eat any you have any other cho uh, choices because they're going to charge you the same yeah. amount and so he would do that but we always you know did jokes we had a lot of uh, like hiding people's you know spikes until right before <laughs> or uh hiding their warm-ups if it was a cold meat <laughs> and there's <laughs> lots of them in iowa oh yeah do, yeah oh it's cold by i mean it's called the first half of the track sure. track meet uh track season so we did a lot of you know just funny stuff just trying to entertain ourselves <laughs> in between races who, so who's your all-time favorite track athlete? Jeremy Warner. Really? I would probably say Jeremy yeah. Warner just because, uh, like I said, I was a 400 guy. And he was kind of, when he was huge, I was about my age range when I was a kid and watching him. Michael Johnson obviously was huge, but he was a, Legend, I was a little, yeah. yeah, I was a little, too young probably kind of for him. 
So I would probably say Jeremy Warner, him with the shades and the chain running and stuff was pretty cool. Jeremy Warner could have been a hell of a football player. Oh, hell really? of a football. I covered, he played high school football, and I covered a, high, a, a playoff game of his. He played at Arlington Lamar, and I used to work up in Dallas, and it was 2000, so the fall of 2000. I covered a game, and they had like a, I don't know what offense it was, but they ran the ball, and they're, they had a good quarterback who ran the ball. But two times, three times that game, he pulled up and he threw it, to a guy who was faster than everybody <laughs> on the field, and it was Jeremy Warren. Oh, yeah. and, but he went and, and ran at Baylor. But yeah. he could have played some football, man. Like, he was good. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Get sweeps and stuff. I don't, could he catch one? I, Absolutely, I yeah. He he could, okay. I th- and I think there probably was interest, but I think fairly early on he said, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm running track. I want to go to the Olympics. And he did, and he, yeah. it paid off yeah, for exactly. him. Right? Yeah. I think he had the record for quite a bit of time until. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Jeremy Warren, that, I always, yeah, whenever his name comes up, and it doesn't come up often, I was like, I'm like, I cover that guy. <laughs> I saw him play yeah. uh, football. Tell me about a food that is overrated. Ooh, I'm not, a lot of people are going to hate me for this. No, this is your opinion. This is your opinion. You can I'm not a big Mexican eating. I don't like Mexican, Mexican category. Yeah, okay. I'm, not a, I'm not a big. I don't know if it's the spices that don't sit well with me, but I don't eat you know, a lot of like a lot of people love chipotle. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not a big. Not for not you. A big, but oh, I mean, we're in Iowa and, you know, there's only like one good restaurant uh, in the whole state of Iowa. So Chipotle was like two hours away. And guys would literally drive, yeah, two hours to go to Chipotle. Really? For that meal and then drive two hours back to our college town. So I was I was like, why? What is the point? <laughs> and then I tried it when I got into the pros in Arizona, and I was like, I don't see it. but And everyone will ridicule me for it. Yeah. yeah. Not, not big on that. That's interesting. You say Mexican food. Danny Amendola was sitting where you're sitting right now last week. He said shrimp. What do you think about no, that? No. Seafood is the best. But it's his well, opinion. See. It's his opinion. Well, coming from Iowa, I guess I didn't eat a lot of seafood. Yeah. And then when I first had it, I kind of, like, binged it. And so I love <laughs> seafood. That's, like, one of the things. And now I'm huge on oysters right now. Oh. And I'm telling you. Like raw oysters? No, cooked. 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 Okay. Like char-grilled? Yeah. Char-grilled. Oh, aren't those the See, best? See, I, I, we went to an away game, and we went to Maryland. And yeah. after we played the Baltimore we had – they gave us charboiled oysters, and I swear I ate probably like 30 of them. Sure. And they're so small, you know. It's they're small, and they're del- – I mean, exactly. they're perfect. Yeah. So, see oh, – Danny, he's wrong for that one. That was a, <laughs> that's a terrible, overrated food. What's the best meal that you are able to cook? Oh, that I <laughs> – I'm able to I'm, – I'm a good grill. So, I can okay. grill. I'll grill burgers. Yeah. Grill chicken. I would say it's probably cheating because of the grill I have. Um, it's cheat. Yeah. It's not, okay, good. Yeah, I have the uh, – the pellet grill, oh, yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, just yeah. throw it in there. Mm-hmm. It's all on your phone. Tells you when it's warm. It's like an uh, an overrated oven, you know. And so, if it tastes good, there's no cheating involved. Okay, good. okay? I mean, think about it. Oh, the end result. The 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 uh, means justify the end. Okay. In, in food, I think the means justify the end. That's <laughs> okay, what I'm gonna great. say. See? Yeah. I had uh, brag about yourself, David. It's, okay, it's cool. Perfect. It's cool. I, I don't care what people say because people have told me that's cheating. And yeah. I will tell them. The food is great, so you can't complain too much. And I grilled, or I uh, smoked my ver- first turkey last Thanksgiving, and it was amazing. Yeah? Oh, it was amazing. I did it. I, I mean, it took me probably like two two days. You got it all set oh, up. Oh, yeah, I had it yeah. all set up. had it marinated and everything. Right. And when it was done, oh, I thought I could have been on a chef show. <laughs> I, I should have joined, you know, one of those chef shows. That's you, how man. good it was. 
That's awesome. So you've got a lot of teammates who are also excellent grill masters. And we heard about a lot of these new guys that came in this year. You know, they'd, they'd get together and they'd grill. So of your teammates, do you know of – is there – one guy that kind of rises above the rest as far as just he's a great cook, whether it's not whether it's on the grill or not. I mean, does anybody – what have you heard? So, last year, obviously, Duke Johnson was a huge cook, okay. huge chef. This year, I haven't heard too many guys. Um, we all mostly talk about going places to eat, okay. you know, best restaurants and stuff. Because we're able Especially to again. Being, yeah, exactly. And then not just that, but we have so many new players. So they all want to see yeah. the new restaurants that's in Texas, and everyone says how great Texas barbecue and everything is. Sure. So I actually, most guys come to me more for restaurants to go to. Okay. Are you a barbecue guy? Oh, yeah. What's your perfect barbecue plate? What's on it? Oh, oh, got obviously ribs. Got to have uh, burnt ends. Okay, yeah, yeah. Barbecue beans. Yep. Mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, coleslaw. Ooh. That's really the main, that's, that's about it. I can't eat turkey. What's the drink? Drink is Sprite or Sweet Tea. Okay. All right. That's yeah. good. Maybe mashed potatoes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't see too many mashed potatoes yeah. with, uh, barbecue. That's a good, that's a good add. That. I'll do that. Yeah. Maybe broccoli supreme. Try to be a little healthier. I told someone that, so they had a question for us the other day during camp, not the other day, during camp and it was the cookout question. Yeah. Yeah. And I got. So much heat because I was the only one who said to have a veggie spread at the cookout. And <laughs> but that everyone, wasn't your that wasn't your number one choice no, to to no. to back you up here. Yes. You were you were saying a, a lot of things and this. Right? Exactly. You weren't saying just this. You know, right? yeah, like yeah. top it off. You know, be yeah. a little healthier. I remember know? this. Yeah, exactly. I felt so, bad for you actually. Yeah, like, I was like, come on, guys, you can't. You got to have a little <laughs> bit of health. You know, some you know carrots and some ranch. It's some ranch. You know, it's not absolutely. Super healthy. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, a lot of guys are looking at me kind of sideways. Yeah, our video department kind of did you dirty. I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna, I'll did. call them out. I think in they that set me up for yeah. that one. That was a setup. One of them's off camera. I can say that to him. But, yeah, for the record, that was not his first choice. No, it wasn't. It Obviously, was, the, yeah, the barbecue. One of many choices. Yeah. You like the variety. The ribs. Yeah, the ribs are the first choice. Okay, some days for me it's ribs. Some days it's brisket. Some days it's sausage. But the best day is when I can get all three. It's that simple. And what's also simple is saying thanks to everybody that participated on the show today, to Mark Vandermeer, Philip Lindsay, D.P. Sidhu, David Anderson, Drew Doherty, and, of course, David Johnson, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. Have a great and safe weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. And as always, go Texans. Let's go Texans.